You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, FanRock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, FanRock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everybody, this is FanRag Fantasy Baseball, I'm your host Al Melchior, and uh, gotta admit, I'm still adjusting to the new time slot here, I'm laughing because I just fired off a tweet, uh, we are uh, taping this uh, in the afternoon, and uh, it's a little bit of a new regime here for a while on uh, FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and uh, set up my customary tweet right before uh, starting the show, so uh, hopefully you, you're adjusting with me and knowing to tune in. 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. And uh, anyhow, thank you for however you're joining me, whether it's live, whether it's uh, download. Thank you for joining me. Looking forward to the show today. Um, and here's one of the tricky things about uh, taping this early. As of right now, I am not aware of Garrett Cole having been traded. There, this has been a crazy day, and if you've been following this throughout the day, you know that it's it's been an off uh, on again, off again situation. So as of right now, it's off again. There is no deal between the Pirates and Astros involving Garrett Cole, but uh, as of about maybe an hour or so prior to uh, this moment where I'm talking, uh, it, it seemed to be imminent. There were reports uh, that uh, this was an imminent deal. So I'll be tracking this throughout the show. Maybe something will happen. Maybe something won't. Uh, maybe it'll happen uh, between now and when you're listening to this. So uh, be interesting. Anyways, but I will uh, talk a bit about Garrett Cole since it seems like it's really just a matter of time before he goes somewhere, whether it's Houston or elsewhere. Uh, and I think it could happen soon with the Astros. Uh, there was an interesting tweet from Allison Footer. Uh, who's an MLB.com uh, writer and um, has uh, done a lot of work uh, with the Astros. And, you know, she said something to the effect of chill out, everybody. Sometimes it's just a matter of notifying everybody that's involved with the trade. Could be that. Could be that the trade is legitimately off. I don't know at this point. But um, anyhow, uh, I will try to keep you posted on that. But uh, also on this show, going to be joined by Greg Jewett. Um, looking forward to that. And, uh, we are going to talk about a couple of things that are really weighing on Greg. And, and I think on a, a lot of us who are doing our draft prep, one of them is trying to rank catchers. And there's some news today that, that really points out the difficulty in doing that. And I'll keep you in suspense on, on that little news item. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. And, and Greg and I will go through what's especially tricky about uh, ranking catchers this year. But we're also going to talk about pitching. And while I'm going to go uh, a little more in-depth uh, on the show on the starting pitcher landscape as I'm working towards the conclusion of my around-the-horn visit uh, to the uh, the fantasy landscape at all the different uh, positions, I'm going to talk about starting pitcher today. But Greg and I are going to zoom in on strikeouts uh, chasing strikeouts and when it might not be advisable to do so. So uh, that'll be a fun discussion with uh, Mr. Greg Jewett. And on the last show, I talked about some potentially good bargains for power. And I'm going to go to the other end 
of the good contact leaderboard and look at some players who last year were disappointing in terms of power and what that might mean for 2018. All of that coming up and all your latest Garrett Cole news. So uh, don't go anywhere. Stick around. I'll be right back. Since 1995, Real-Time Fantasy Sports has been the most trusted site in the fantasy industry. Home to an award-winning commissioner service and endless money leagues offered at a variety of formats and skill levels, RTSports.com is the only destination for the fantasy player who wants it all. Plus, RT Sports offers the most reliable and quickest payouts for any level of fantasy player. Do you like trades? Hate trades? Want a league for just three weeks? No problem. RTSports.com offers it all. And to ease the gameplay for all kinds of players, we're optimized for desktop, phone, or your tablet, making it simple to play wherever, whenever. Ready to get started? Head to rtsports.com slash lobby to check out all the games we have to offer and sign up to play today. rtsports.com, everything a fantasy player could ever want under one award-winning roof. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And, uh, yep, still no update on Garrett Cole. But I do have some other actual transactions that have occurred. So let's get right to those. And actually one that I just saw come across Twitter during the break. So this is just uh, pretty much breaking. Uh, the Well, first of all, the Brewers have made official their signing of Boone Logan to a one-year deal. Uh, but also to make room on the 40-man roster, they have granted Taylor Youngman his release, and he's going to go pitch in Japan in 2018. So I wish Taylor Youngman the best of luck because um, uh, among players that I have talked to for you know various columns or videos or what have you, um, he is one that really stand, stood out to me uh, as somebody who was just really great to talk to and, and uh, really enlightening to uh, – uh, you know, learn about uh, hit the changes that he had made. And that's all when I talk to a player. Uh, that's that's the kind of information that I'm looking for is, uh, you know, they, they've made a certain change. And what was that process? And, and you know, what were the challenges? Uh, so I had a great discussion a couple of years back, right when he first came up uh, with Taylor Youngman. I wish him the best. Uh, by the way, that also reminds me um, to just take a, a little U-turn here for a second. Uh, you definitely want to tune in for Friday's show. Uh, because I've got Ron Chandler on uh, and uh, had had him on once before uh, during Tout Wars weekend. It's always great to talk to Ron. He's one of the, the true pioneers uh, in the field of fantasy baseball uh, and as, as he has coined it, fanalytics. And uh, really can't wait to talk to Ron Chandler. So I really hope you tune in for that. And then I'm going to build a little suspense here. But speaking of talking to players and trying to understand big changes they've made, I've got one coming up on Monday's show next week. Uh, booked a, a player who had just a sort of bizarre-looking season last year uh, in a very good way. Uh, one of the, to me, one of the biggest enigmas to try to figure out for this coming draft season, and he is going to be on the show next Monday. So I'll keep you in suspense about who that is. Um, 
but something else to look forward to. Anyway, let's get back to some of the player movement. And this is one I alluded to sort of cryptically in the first segment. The Angels have signed Rene Rivera to a one-year deal worth $2.8 million. And the cryptic allusion I made to Rene Rivera was that I said that uh, I'm going to be talking with Greg Jewett on the show starting next segment. Not this segment, but the next segment, have uh, Greg Jewett on here. And part of what we're going to discuss is some of the difficulty at this stage of the offseason putting together catcher rankings. And he and R- Rivera's signing is a little microcosm of why this is so tricky. Because uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm really going to nail the, the, the prototype for this, but when I think of what's happening with some catcher situations, I think of this situation with the Braves where he had two catchers last year, Tyler Flowers and uh, Kurt Suzuki, who both had breakouts, and either one would actually be pretty valuable in fantasy with more playing time, but they basically steal playing time for each other. It was a very, very even split. What Rivera signing might do with the Angels is really uh, rob Martin Maldonado of some playing time. Now, I understand that in one-catcher leagues, this probably isn't all that relevant. Maldonado is definitely better known for his stellar defense, won his first gold glove uh, just a few months back for 2017. Uh, Rivera is a very good defensive catcher in his own right, though, and maybe a little better at the plate, and certainly I would say no worse than Maldonado uh, offensively. So I don't see this as being a good development for Maldonado. And just by virtue of playing time, Maldonado was a really, really, looked like he was going to be a really solid option as a second catcher. Uh, Last season, he started 131 games behind the plate for the Angels, which is quite staggering if you think about it. He played a total of 138 games. So again, 131 of those starting at catcher. And only JT Realmuto and Buster Posey played in more games among catchers last year. And Posey, of course, played quite a bit of first base. So that's really, you know, something. Uh, Maldonado, a little bit of power, looked at, was looking at a lot of playing time. I think he's going to have that cut into pretty severely this year. I could see an even split. I haven't read any reports on how the Angels plan on using Rivera and, and Maldonado. But uh, I would think that this would be something of a boon for Rivera, especially if he could follow up what he did last year. He split the season with the Mets and the Cubs, batted 252. And for a catcher, that's, that's not that bad. And he had 10 home runs at just 237 plate appearances. And he's had a couple of seasons where he's shown pretty good power. So with a decent amount of playing time, Rivera might actually kind of work his way into that number two catcher discussion. Granted, on the, on the low end, I think. But as I'm going to discuss later with Greg, not to, to drop too many, uh, too many spoilers here, but um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of situations like this, seemingly a growing number of situations, of either unclear splits in playing time at catcher, or uh, what look to be pretty even splits, which sort of ruins it for everybody. So, on that note, speaking of ruining things for everybody, the acquisition of Rivera, in one sense, will be a good thing for the uh, Angels pitching staff. But again, remember with the signing of Shohei Otani that the Angels are mostly planning on going with a six-man rotation. 
So uh, that's kind of a case, too, of kind of spoiling it for everybody that it might be hard for any one pitcher in that rotation to rack up many innings. We've talked on this show, uh, and you probably read and heard discussions elsewhere about projections for Otani's innings for 2018. I think uh, around 160 is probably pretty accurate. I've seen him projected at 150 in some places. That that seems like that's in the right ballpark, so not a lot of innings. And then you're looking at Garrett Richards, uh, who's a perennial health risk. Uh, same thing for uh, for Andrew Haney. Uh, and according to a report uh, in the LA Daily News from Jeff Fletcher, uh, the projected rotation right now would be Otani, Richards, Haney, Tyler Skaggs, and Matt Shoemaker. So you've got a whole lot of players with, with injury risk in there. They're going to be see their innings curtailed anyway because of the need to go with a, a Six pitcher rotation uh, to afford Otani, first of all, the opportunity to get rest and also the opportunity to DH some. So, as far as that six starter goes, according to Jeff Fletcher, you're going to see some combination of JC Ramirez, Parker Bridwell, Nick Tropiano, and Jaime Berea, who's kind of interesting. And again, he's not going to probably make much of an impact because he's one of several pitchers that would be a sixth starter, meaning that uh, in weeks where there might be a day or two off, he would get skipped. And again, that's even assuming that, uh, you know, he emerges uh, out of that group to to become a regular sixth starter. So, uh, but he does, he, he does have a profile that interests me, which is that he's got really good control. He's got extremely high fly ball rate, which means that at uh, Angel Stadium, that uh, he could get a lot of fly ball outs and have a very low BABIP and a very low whip and maybe a low ERA. We shall see. So that's the uh, look at the Angels' rotation right now. Uh, but again, it's kind of a positive, you know, one one step forward, one step back situation there where the acquisition of Rene Rivera should help all those pitchers, but they're already in a situation where they're losing value because of of limited innings few other uh, signings, a couple other signings that have occurred in the last day or so. The Reds have signed Vance Worley to my league deal, and he'll uh, you know ostensibly be a part of that rotation mix, which is, I think, very much up in the air. And then the Brewers have signed J.J. Hoover also to a minor league deal, and obviously Hoover not going to, not very likely to close games in Milwaukee, but uh you know, if he has a bounce back season, maybe he could still be in some higher leverage situations, maybe help you in a holds, holds league. So J.J. Hoover has a new home uh, pitch for the Diamondbacks last year, is now signed with the Brewers. Although, again, it's a minor league deal with a spring training invite. And one more news item, Starlin Castro, not really too surprising here. I think it was sort of a matter of, of when and not if. Starlin Castro uh, has told Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic that he wants to be traded. So um, whether or not that's going to be granted remains to be seen. I'd be very surprised if the Marlins didn't trade Castro before opening day. But uh, Marlins, like everybody else, has been kind of silent lately. Um, but I imagine that uh, that'll heat up. Of course, Christian Yelich, JT Realmuto, reportedly on the block. Marlins are, are listening to offers at least. So I think Starlin Castro could could be on the move as well. It would make a whole lot of sense, really, for that organization. And he is not going to want to stick around. I don't think anybody 
has a hard time understanding Starling Castro's perspective on that situation. So, and yet another, let's say it, fairly slow day in news. Uh, that, that wraps it up for now. But we're going to head to break, and when we come back, Greg Jewett's going to be here. We're going to talk about catchers and when to chase Ks and when not to chase Ks with starting pitchers. All that just around the corner. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. While you might be listening to Bad Medicine, we're going to have some good advice. Or, uh, I'm sure it'll be a lot of good advice. That's what we aim to do every show here. And we've got uh, Greg Jewett, frequent guest on the show. You can find his work at Fantasy Alarm. And very soon, also be able to see it over at Rotographs. Uh, Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Al. Great to be here. Yeah, so uh, well, let's get right to it. Uh, we've got a, quite a bit to, to cram into uh, into the segment. Uh, so we're going to talk both catchers, and we're going to talk a little bit about pitchers, particularly uh, when and if there are limits to chasing strikeouts with pitchers. But uh, in the last segment, I was talking about the Angels signing of Rene Rivera and how it seems like that's one more team that's moving towards maybe going towards a more even split uh, with mm-hmm. catchers. But I, I know we've been having some conversations where, you know, you've been having some trouble, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to rank catchers. I've been struggling with that. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be endemic in the industry. Um, so, you know, what what specifically are you finding that's uh, maybe trickier this year than in past years with uh, trying to sort out the catcher landscape? Well, we got to factor in. We've got a couple of free agents floating out there, like Jonathan Lucroy, who will impact wherever he signs with the amount of the bats he'll get. Um, and we have what happened, uh, you know, it's a copycat league, and people are going to take note of what the Braves did uh, last yep. season with Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki uh, doing like a 325-250 split and both uh, hitting double-digit home runs and being healthier and seems like they both played better. So, um, it, I think people are going to see that by having two healthy catchers instead of riding one one person all season long, like a, a Salvador Perez who seems to wear down a lot in the second half. Um, this is a way to keep guys a little fresher and, uh, and and also improve defense. I mean, the Angels are really committing to defense. So if you're if you take a chance on like a Garrett Richards and things like that, you're loving the Rene Rivera signing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I talked about sort of the, the pluses and minuses with the Angels rotation because they should be helped by that catching tandem a lot, but hurt by the six-man rotation. So it's, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you get some, you, you lose some. But, um, well, the Lucroy thing, you know, someday should sort itself out. I mean, we're sitting here waiting. I'm on Garrett Cole watch uh, this hour. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're waiting for all these folks to find a landing spot. But as far as the, you know, the catching tandems go, that's going to make drafting tricky, you know, 
all the way into March and, and, and early April. Um, do, do you have a, uh, a plan to address those kinds of situations? Um, how, how do you plan on dealing with catcher uh, on draft day? Um, I think it's going to depend a lot on the draft rooms, like the, the, the mock draft that you and I are both presently taking part in. Um, the, the catchers have been kind of slow, but of course it's only a one catcher league, even though there's 15 teams, uh, there hasn't been that big rush to go get one. If it was a two catcher league, I think it would make this draft uh, appreciably different because then you're going to be, you have to kind of get people. I mean, you're looking at, I was going over some of the numbers, uh, just to prep for the show. And, and last year, only four qualified, uh, batters came from the catching position. One scored 79 runs, four scored 60, eight scored eight, uh, 50 runs. One hit 30 home runs, that's Sanchez. Six hit 20 or more, and 14 hit 15 home runs or more. So it's kind of getting to be a saturated position. I was kind of shocked. That, to me, I've never been a draft buster posy early because of the position and everything else kind of a person. But at where he went in our draft, I thought he was a really good bargain. So in a one-catcher league, I think you're just going to kind of – you can play the waiting game and pay attention to the tiers and make sure you get somebody in a tier that you're comfortable with. Um, in a two-catcher league, I think it's really going to depend on the draft. If they start getting popped early, you might have to react. Um, I wouldn't be averse to getting a uh, like a, a beef, uh, beef Wellington tandem with somebody else mixed in there. And I know you and I both love the Austin Barnes train, but it's just a matter of how many bats you're going to get, which leads into the original premise of all this. What are we going to do with these catchers? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, well, let's uh, shift over to, to the pitching uh, landscape. And, you know, specifically this, just to kind of give some background, uh, if I think I'm remembering this right, Greg, that you and I were having a, a conversation about Denelson Lamette. And mm-hmm. I think it was a reference actually to this uh, mock draft that you were just talking about. And mm-hmm. I thought he went a bit early. Um, it, it seems like in every mock that I've done so far, and I think I've done four, I want to say. Uh, it seems like in each of them, he's, he's gone a bit early. People love K's and it's obvious why, but he's somebody that I'm, I'm a little, you know, I don't expect to get him if, if these mock drafts are any kind of indication, uh, because when he does allow contact, uh, he allows a lot of hard contact. He was among the, the pitchers to allow the, the longest average fly ball distance last season, allows a lot of hard contact and his controls not. Uh, especially reliable and there's a, a sort of a category uh, you know whether it's you know Danny Salazar or you know Robbie Ray I mean there's a certain category of pitchers that I think involves some risks so do you have a, a general rule of thumb or approach in terms of dealing with these pitchers do you find yourself liking them more or less about the same as other owners that you draft with well it, you know you, you bring that up because you know I, I was at the point where I was trying to decide. I, I was going to, I was kind of targeting a pitcher in that round where uh, Denelson went. And I, I decided I liked what I saw in the second half with the improved command from Blake Snell, who's another strikeout pitcher. He's in a tough situation in the AL East, but um, I think the talent's there and he's been through enough and made some of the adjustments where he can take a step forward this year. Um, and, and I took him instead of Lamette, and then Lamette met the next pick after, and that lit up the message boards. Everybody was, <laughs> you know, excited about Lamette. I, I really think the tax on him this year is going to make him not be in any of my teams either. You know, I, I do like the talent. I think there's upside, but I think next year might be the year to own him, if that makes any sense, because this year I think the price is going to be too high, and with some uh, correction and other things, he might be much more reasonable and actually have his breakout next season. 
All right. Well, let's go through a few of these pictures. So, I mean, that's, you know, gives us a pretty clear picture of how you view, uh, view Denelson Lamette. But how about Robbie Ray, who I, I view as probably the class of this group and definitely had a breakout mm-hmm. season last year. But the risk is still there. Uh Mm-hmm. amongst you know amongst the the leaders in strikeouts strikeout rate but also um you know allowing hard contact at a rate that uh, was one of the highest in the majors uh it doesn't allow that much contact but it does he allow enough contact to be dangerous mm-hmm. oh he does um he's, he's very volatile but also you know you're talking about the the allure of the strikeouts he's got back-to-back 218 strikeout seasons um, he, he did have the uh, increase in swinging strike percentage last year. Um, he did lower contact from 75% to 67%, but he's still giving up 40% hard contact. So, And in that ballpark, that does make him a risk. I remember near the end of the season, he thought he was going to have a slam dunk game in San Diego, and he got torched. So that's part of the risk when you own Robbie Ray. Um, in our mock, that might be one of the one – of the that one and or the, the Craig Kimbrell pick I took in the uh, – sixth round, those two might be the two picks I would probably want to maybe change. I think maybe I would rather, actually not maybe, I would rather have had Garrett Cole um, at that point when I took Robbie Ray to kind of coincide with Carrasco. That would give me two pitchers with some spotty health history in the past with upside for this year. I think that probably would have been a a safer pick. Um, But, you know, Ray is what he is. He, I don't think he's going to lose you a draft, but you know he could win you one if he if he takes another level, which I'm not sure he can get. But it's going to be interesting. I don't really see how he can because uh, mm-hmm. you know for a starting pitcher to exceed uh, 12 strikeouts per nine, um, I mean that would be just un, almost unthinkable to me that he could really uh, take a big step from that, walking nearly four per nine. And right, that's where uh, he was, needs to make the improvement. Yeah. You need, well, there and, you know, 1.3 homers per nine, which you would expect given, uh, you know, the the amount of hard contact that he allows. And uh, 2.89 ERA, but he had an 84.5% strand rate last year, which I just mm-hmm. don't see him coming close to this year. So um, I think I'm making clear what my bias is. <laughs> I, I generally like these guys less than, than you know, most other owners. But uh, here's a name uh, that... Y- I was sort of surprised to put in this group, but I think the research bears it out. His teammate, Zach Greinke, who allowed an average fly ball distance of 330 feet last year and a hard contact rate just over 35%. And he's not the strikeout pitcher that Ray is, although he certainly, you know, is going to be pretty good for strikeouts, I would think. But that's that's a lot of hard contact. Uh, do you view Greinke as risky, or do you think that's just more maybe a, a one-year aberration? I don't think it's a one-year aberration. I just think it's a, a factor of the ballpark. He had a very similar ERA and whip when he was pitching in Milwaukee. You know, it's a big change going from uh, venues like that and then pitching in, in Los Angeles where uh, you get a little more forgiveness in that ballpark. So some of that stuff's not as uh, tangible or at the top of our list of worries when we talk about him. You know, Greenkey gets his wins, I think, for where he's going in drafts. He's probably pretty solid. Um I think he's safer than Robbie Gray, uh, especially considering Grinke's won 17, 19, 13, and 17 the last four years and struck out 203 the last four. You know, I, I just think who he is. Uh, I know Matt Medica does a lot of work with the pitchers. He projected uh, Grinke for about 200 Ks and 203 innings with a 3.45 VRA and a 1.15 whip, and I think that's about spot on. You just have to plan on the higher whip with him being in Arizona and, and taking trips to course. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, just about a minute left here, Greg, so I'm going to uh, toss you a couple lightning round style. Danny Salazar and Trevor Bauer, um, I think they're, you know, poster children for this group and have been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you trust either of them for this year? I don't trust them, but I'm really intrigued by Salazar because with his uh, deflated cost in drafts and auctions, I think he could be somebody that you get uh, possibly outside of the top 30 that could end up being a top 20 pitcher if he can stay healthy. All right. Well, sounds good. So, uh, well, Greg, thank you again so much for uh, joining me here uh, for this segment and look forward to having you back uh, throughout uh, cold, hopefully hot stove season and uh, the regular season. So uh, have a good one, Greg. Thank you, Al. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right, folks, we'll stick around. Uh, We'll be right, right back with some more starting pitcher talk. Most fantasy shows are, well, basically lame. Three warriors emerge from the ashes. Jake Seeley with his power to predict the future. I told you so. Joe Pizapia with his sword of truth. You know nothing. And Chris Meany with the ability to apologize. Sorry. They are the award-winning on-target fantasy every day here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. Check the link. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and want to thank Greg Jewett once again for joining us in that last segment. Uh, very good insight on both the uh, catcher situation with more and more teams uh, going to tandems, it appears, and uh, also uh, to take a look at uh, high strikeout pitchers that uh, might be a little risky and uh, his take on that. There was one we didn't get to. We're running a little short on time. But uh, a name I just want to put out there for you, if, if you, like me, uh, are a little shy about uh, drafting these pitchers or, or not wanting to be aggressive, think twice about Dylan Bundy, because uh, you probably remember from last season that he picked up his strikeout rate in the second half, uh, actually the last three months, even starting a little bit before the All-Star break, um, but uh, also... Uh, picked up the hard contact rate quite a bit. Uh, so from July 1st forward, a 26.7% strikeout rate, but a 38.8% hard contact rate. And of course, Bundy tends to be fly ball prone and home run prone to start off with. Um, so that's something that's probably going to keep me off of uh, going after Dylan Bundy in drafts uh, coming up uh, this spring. So wanted to share that tidbit with you as well. And, Unfortunately, did not have the time to get uh, Greg's uh, take on on Dylan Bundy. But uh, we do have a trade, but it is not Garrett Cole. (laughs) Uh, The White Sox have acquired Jose Rondon from the Padres uh, in exchange for cash considerations. Uh, So Rondon, uh, middle infielder, uh, played, uh, take a quick look here because I don't want to go by memory on this. Yeah, played at both uh, AAA and AA last year couple of games of rookie league i would have to assume that was injury related but um some middle infield depth there for uh for the white Sox. so not not particularly fantasy relevant but you know any trade's a good trade uh right now uh, at least if you're you're in sports media so uh we are still on garrett cole watch here nothing really new there 
But uh, like I was saying earlier in the show, I do think that a trade is is going to be imminent at some point. And Greg, uh, actually, the last segment he mentioned Garrett Cole sort of offhandedly, and uh, saying that you know he'd rather have him than I, I don't remember which pitcher that uh, <laughs> uh, I remember which pitcher it was, uh, but uh, you know saying that he prefer Cole. And uh, I'm going to get to talking about the the starting pitcher landscape, and I would say that that Cole is you know very solidly in that discussion as a number two starter, and I could see why maybe people would be a little scared off given that pitching for the Pirates at PNC Park, uh, a venue that has helped him in the past in terms of avoiding home runs and keeping the ERA down. He had a 4.26 ERA last year. And that was coming off of a 2016 season that was also a bit disappointing. Uh, Did have an ERA under four, not far under four, though, 3.88 in 2016. And the strikeouts were were down under 20%, a 20% rate, 19.4 to be exact, 19.4% strikeout rate in 2016. That rebounded last year, got it back up to 23.1%. So the problem for Cole in 2017 really was related to extra base hits and not a big change in um, average fly ball distance or, or hard contact rate. So that gives me some hope that this might have been a little bit fluky for Garrett Cole. And that's going to be encouraging news if he does go someplace like Minute Maid Park, which is going to be a more hostile environment for him than uh, PNC Park. But it's not completely fluky because he had a big jump in the pull rate that he allowed to opposing hitters. Every year, it's not just PNC Park that's helped him to avoid homers. He's really been able to avoid getting the ball pulled, uh, having rates uh, well below average. And last year, uh, an average uh, right around 40%, which is not bad, but not what you typically see from Garrett Cole. And that's been kind of a key part of his his success. And that sort of regression to a more normal pull rate uh, I think had quite a bit to do with that 4.26 ERA. So a little bit of risk, but let, let's let's break apart the pitching landscape a bit because really, once you get get beyond the big four, Kershaw, Scherzer, Sale, and Kluber, everybody's got some risk. Just about, just about. So it's the same story that we've been telling for at least the last couple of years. That and of course how you approach this. Really, of course, you know, depends on on your particular style of drafting, I guess. But the lesson that I've taken away the last couple of years of the thinning out of reliable, quality innings eating starting pitchers is get the few that are out there. Make sure you get at least two of them. So um, yeah, there's the big four: Kershaw, Scherzer, Sale, and Kluber. But then beyond that, uh, you've got the other candidates to be a number one starter. And uh, I think there's there's a fair amount of consensus on this list. Masson Bumgarner, I think, is probably the consensus number five, but he comes in with some risk after uh, uh, a year that was a little disappointing, but also very uh, explainable because of uh, the injury that he sustained early on in the season. Uh, but he's he comes in riskier. And plus, there's just all the innings that Bumgarner has piled up over the years as well. That probably adds on a little bit risk. But even, you know, even that said, I would say he's the next in line after the big four. 
And Jacob deGrom, I think, is pretty risk-free relative to the others uh, in this pool here. You got Steven Strasburg, same story, you're in, you're out with him, enormous upside, but you have to expect some limits on his innings due to either injury concern or actual injury. And same with Noah Syndergaard. So a tremendous upside there. If he could stay healthy, you know, maybe he makes the big four, a big five. Um, Luis Severino, can he repeat it again? A lot of people I'm hearing uh, this offseason saying things to the effect of they don't want to trust somebody who's only succeeded at a high level one time, one year. Well, Luis Severino, he's only really had the chance uh, over a whole season to do that for one year, and and he was spectacular last year. Can we trust him? Again, you're starting to get the idea. Even people at this level where you would feel pretty safe drafting them as number one pitcher, there's risks there. So Severino's risk doesn't really look a whole lot worse than anybody else's. You Darvish, I imagine he's going to go probably not as a number one starter in a lot of leagues just by virtue of what happened in the in the World Series. But he had starts in the postseason that were perfectly fine. He had ups and downs last year. He's had ups and downs, I think, throughout much of his career. He struggled with control. But uh, again, when you look at the alternatives, for me, he's on the low end of a, of a number one starter. Carlos Carrasco, I don't think there's a whole lot of risk there. He might be one of the steadier ones. He doesn't have the upside of a Bumgarner, Strasburg, or Syndergaard. So I'm, I'm putting Carrasco more towards the back of this number one starter group. Um, but if, if steady is what you want, I think he might be your guy. And Zach Greinke, who Greg Jewett and I talked about last segment for all the problems he had last year with uh, allowing long drives, he uh, still, I think, is uh, probably borderline number one, number two pitcher. And Chris Archer, who I thought was very underrated and underdrafted last year and based on early mocks, seems to be so again this year. And I think he's right there in that same part, that same tier with uh, Granke, uh, Carrasco, Darvish. So th- those are all pitchers I would consider as a number one. Pitchers I would not consider, and I think others may, would include Robbie Ray for reasons that Greg and I discussed in the last segment. Justin Verlander, who may have the opposite of uh, ADP effect that uh, Darvish had, that because of a, a very good postseason and a very good late season stint with the Astros, I think he might get overdrafted. Remember that he, particularly uh, earlier in the year, but during his time with the Tigers last year, was not really a standout. Um, particularly in terms of ERA. So I, I wouldn't trust Verlander as, as a number one starter. I'm even not thrilled about him as a number two, but again, when you start to look at what your options are, it'd be pretty foolish to pass up on Verlander as a number two starter if uh, if you had the opportunity to, to draft him. James Paxton, will he pitch enough innings? And can he repeat what he did last year? Questions there. Love Aaron Nola. Um, Maybe still a little bit of doubt about whether or not he can uh, be healthy for the whole season to be consistent. And uh, I know, but uh, out of the the options I'm naming here, I like him a, really as much as anybody. Carlos Martinez, I probably like him less. Maybe there even would be some folks that would say he's low-end number one. But he's sort of borderline in that group from last segment of high strikeout potential, but 
gets hit hard when uh, when he allows contact and also has been inconsistent with control. So I would put uh, Carmart in this group of number two pitchers who have certainly very nice upside, but um, there's, there's some floor issues there too. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, there's, you know, uh, Health issues. Uh, I don't really question the the performance with him. David Price, same thing there. And then uh, you've got Shohei Otani, who I think should be drafted as a number two starter, even though he's got no major league track record. Uh, and then a couple of, of uh, names that I think will probably fall quite a bit. And, and uh, one I like in particular, Kyle Hendricks, because he's not really, you know, doesn't put up flashy numbers, not a big strikeout guy but good at getting soft contact, finished strong last year. But I think that might have gone a little bit under the radar. And Jake Arrieta, I just think that um, expectations for him have sunk to a point where he's probably now going to be a bargain. Still could be pretty helpful for strikeouts. Not the greatest control. Disappointing home run rate last season. Depends on where he lands, of course, if he winds up back with the Cubs. I think he'll be great for wins. Could be great for wins, you know, with, with some other team. So uh, anyhow, I'm going to continue this uh, after the break. But, uh, you know, those are the pitchers that basically, uh, along with Garrett Cole, that I would see as number two pitchers. Anyhow, do have to head to break. Wrap this up on the other side. Calling all drivers. Want a career that will take you places? Then Coach USA and Megabus is the place for you. Coach USA and Megabus, leaders in the local and inner city bus transportation industry, are looking for career minded, conscientious drivers with a valid CDL Class A or B license with passenger endorsement. They offer paid training, competitive salary, and many benefits. Apply now and start driving to a better future. Visit CoachUSA.jobs. That's CoachUSA.jobs. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And I was remiss uh, last segment, I think it was, when I announced the uh, Jose Rondon deal uh, going from the Padres to the White Sox. Uh, there's a move that the Padres have made today that's making actually a much, much bigger splash. And uh, that is that uh, they're bringing Dave Cameron on. Uh, he's been at uh, Fangraphs for nearly 10 years Uh uh, I'm sure like many of you have enjoyed, uh, enjoyed Dave's work immensely, but uh, he is uh, going to Fangraphs. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, I think to uh, head up research and development there. Um, anyway, so be- best of luck to Dave Cameron. Uh, that is fantastic news. Uh, and yes, that is right. Uh, research and development. So uh, anyhow, uh, let me get back to uh, the starting pitcher landscape. I'm going to be real quick with this because I did promise a, a little bit of discussion about uh, some some folks on the bottom of the uh, power list <laughs> that uh, I started to talk about in the last show. So I want to make sure to devote a minute or two to that. But, um, you know, basically all those pitchers that I mentioned as number two starters that, all, you know, some of whom have some, you know, considerable uh, risks. Uh, they're number two starters because, you know, once you get beyond that, and then you're, you're talking about the, you know, Alex Woods and Rich Hills of uh, the pitching world 
that are, you know, real injury or not. Well, actually, yes, injury, but also I meant to say innings risks. And then you've got relatively, uh, you know, inexperienced, unproven types like Luke Weaver, Luis Castillo, who I really like. Uh, and then, you know, the, the types like uh, Danny Salazar and, and Blake Snell that, you know, we talked about, uh, I talked about earlier in the show with uh, Greg Jewett. So, uh, you know, I think that's once you're drafting for your number three star, that's the time that you go for those, you know, high upside, high high risk types. And, you know, there are still a few others out there like John Lester and Johnny Cueto, Sonny Gray, who are, you know, much more established and, and probably steadier, but, you know, the, probably not worth drafting as your number two starter. Anyhow, so uh, we'll be digging into this much, much more depth in the coming weeks. But, uh, yeah, on the last show, I had discussed some players who were near the top of the leaderboard, and I was very surprised by uh, their placement on that leaderboard. I I went to uh, Baseball Savant and looked at the players who hit for either barrels, solid contact, burners, or flares. So basically, high-production hits. the largest percentage of their total batted balls that fell into those categories. But there were a few uh, trailing the leaderboard that were also a little surprising. Uh, Ian Desmond was 10 percentage points below the median in that metric. And yes, he dealt with a fractured hand. It's always tricky coming back from that. But he also had a couple of DL stents with a strained calf. That worries me going into this year. He might have a rebound, but... With such a big dip, I think you almost have to count on that, but it might not be a, a really big one. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy, Gregory Polanco, not too surprising. They'd be pretty low on that list. Uh, Hunter Pence, very low on that list, but uh, the last two months of the year, put up a 289, 361, 457 slash line. So if he could stay healthy, he might be sort of a, a, an under-the-radar bounce-back candidate. And Jorge Polanco, who uh, I've talked about the last uh, within the last few shows, he uh, has been a good line drive hitter, but only had 19.3% last year. He could rebound from that as well. So anyways, just a couple of names to uh, tuck away. But uh, that wraps it up for this Wednesday show. So uh, looking forward to joining you again on Friday night. And I'll be here with Ron Chandler. So uh, please do tune in for that. And have a wonderful rest of the day. Take care.